My motivation. Ma motivation. Ma motivation. My motivation. My motivation for the COVID-19 vaccination. Ma motivation pour la vaccination contre la COVID-19. So my motivation to get vaccine is to protect myself and others around me. And I just got my vaccine. And I'm hoping others will also do so because by doing so, we can return to a more normal life. You're listening to KYBN Radio. The time is now. The place is here. We're going to have a little talk. It's just chat with Bree. Right now on KYBN Radio. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and the host alone and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the KYBN Radio Network. Due to its content, viewer discretion is advised. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to today's segment of Navigating Freedom with Mr. Damon Cook. Good morning, Damon. Good morning, Bree. How are you doing? I am doing awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you for asking. So what, for the listeners who do not know what the show is about and have just tuned in, let's give them a brief update of why we do this show. We do this show because we want people to be informed about what it's like for a formerly incarcerated returned citizen, as we call it, to give you the narrative through the eyes of the person just getting out of prison and what that looks like once he's out and trying, or she's out, and trying to navigate freedom. So that's why we do this show. We want to be informative and we want people to know exactly what the little things are. For me, in my particular case, how much I appreciate the little things. That's where I'm at. And yeah, I guess the people like it. So we're doing the show. And like it, they do. It's interesting. We've learned a lot about Damon. We know his favorite store is the dollar store. We know that he likes <laughs> McDonald's <laughs> old timers. <laughs> So tell me, what have you been up to since we last talked? Okay, well, last time we spoke, uh, my next adventure, uh, I got contacted by the coach of Edison High School in Stockton, and he wanted my guys to come down and myself to come down and talk to the men on the football team about making better decisions and better choices. And so we went down there. Now, this is a school district that's in turmoil. They've had a lot of shootings. I had a lot of gang activity and some things that are really not favorable in the eyes of the public. But that's exactly where the work is needed. So, of course, I said, yeah, of course we'll be down there because if we can't go down there and reach those young men down there, then we're just doomed for as a society for failure. So I went down there with my group, and we went down there to talk to those guys. There's been a lot of trauma, so we were trying to help them process some of that trauma. Wow. So now... Who all went with you, and, and who was there to do this? Sure. Um, uh, legendary Major League Baseball player Bip Roberts came down there, and we took five other formerly incarcerated or returned citizens, as well as a pastor, Rodney Lee. We, we went down there, and Keith Kitagawa, Dwight Wyndham, 
and uh, Vincent Paps Rones. We went down there to uh, essentially talk to the children. But they're at that stage, and the people oftentimes say that people in the inner city, particularly minorities, they grow up faster than other people. So they may have been teenagers or boys in some people's eyes, but their eyes have seen longer and more painful things, more, much more than any young man should ever see. So they need to be spoken to in, in a different way. And it's true. Sometimes people have these curriculums and they want to give it to them like this or like that. But those people, the things that resonate with their ears are the truth. So if you just cut right to the truth and don't try to sugarcoat it, then I think you can grab their attention. And that's what we did. We didn't try to scare them into anything. What we tried to do was just give them the reality of what we were dealing with and what they're dealing with from somebody who has dealt with it, right? So they looked at it like, oh, okay, this is a different, this is a different approach for us. So I appreciate the coach, Coach Guyton, and, and I appreciate him, appreciate him calling us down there and Coach Hawkins. It was a, it was a good trip. Good trip. So now, did you keep their attention? Did they ask you questions? No, this is this is a listening exercise. So that's how we kind of started it out. We wanted the the young men to know this is a time when you listen. A lot of times, people do a lot of talking, but they don't do a lot of listening. So here's the story. Here's the background. So we started it off with a person who was a former alumni, Keith Kitagawa. He's a former alumni for the. Um, Edison High School Vikings, and so he told him his story and how he ended up in prison late in life, but he's from there, so the fact that he was from there, the kids stood up, they were, he gave them their undivided attention, and it was a good thing, and we went through, each person told their story, and then finally I ended up with my story. My story was different in the sense that all the things that were glamorized on television, I actually lived. And it's not all, you know, glory. It's, it's, it's trauma. It's, it's a lot of stuff. And so I wanted to explain to him that every tough guy on this block and every tough guy in this room that thinks they're tough, when they find themselves in the penitentiary, you're no longer tough because your life is now in the hands of someone else. And that reality kind of resonated. A couple of the guys, one had just lost his brother to gang violence. The other one lost... Uh, his other brother to a shooting and some other stuff that was going on. There's a lot of trauma. Some guys were finding themselves involved in drug activity, but they didn't know how to express themselves other than the bad behavior, like disrespecting staff on campus. Now, here you are, you're having the privilege of being an athlete, yet you feel you can disrespect the staff. That's out. That's unacceptable on any level. And But they don't understand that it's unacceptable because really the asylum is running amok. So we just went down there just trying to shake them up a little bit about the harsh realities of what it is. You know, I told them, look, I spent double your life in prison. You guys are 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. I spent double that time in prison your whole life. Let that sit in for a minute. And so they started to go, oh, wow. You know, we just showed them some different choices. The good thing about having someone like a Major League Baseball player like Bip Roberts with us, the great thing about that is, first of all, he's very, very humble. And when you see that he grew up the same way, but he made a different decision and a different choice in life, which led him on to prominence, then they, they were able to compare and contrast. One of the coaches was a former uh, football player for the 49ers. So you can see how he's trying to come back and give, but he's only one voice. And the head football coach, Mr. Guyton, 
Coach Guyton, he's a, a former Grambling guy. You know, these guys have seen and tasted success, and they want they chose to come back to help those kids. That was a, a big thing. But these kids didn't realize or it didn't even sink in or resonate that, hey, there's some people that love them. So what we try to do is spread the love. Look, man, we love you. I wouldn't come down here unless I did love you, and I don't even know you. But I know your story, and I love you for that. And I just wanted them to know that anytime they find themselves in a bad situation, before you make that bad decision, take a breath. Take a breath. Wow. Wow. That is pretty awesome. And um, I'm sure they appreciate it. Let's go to a brief break, and we're going to come right back with more of Mr. Damon Cook. Cause I don't 
to be quality Cause I don't have tomorrow And until the time I will see The time I spend with you I want it to be quality Cause I don't wanna lose the thought Of your love shining down on me anywhere because there's more just chat with Bree to come.
best KYBN, your one-stop shop all around radio network. And welcome back to Just Chat with Bree in today's episode of Navigating Freedom with Mr. Damon Cook. So, Damon, you went out to uh, talk to the football team. You took a team out there with you. Um, tell us some more. All right. Well, we learned a lot of things, um, a lot of things about inner city trauma, about intergenerational trauma as also we learned about how men process when they don't have a father how men process or young men process when they don't have a mother it's different it so I want you to imagine going trying to go to high school where you have four or five siblings you're trying to raise them your mother is off to work or your father is not there or your mother is not there and your father's off to work so whenever there's one person missing from the household or the family structure there starts to build up resentment in the person who's taking on the responsibility of the parent that's missing. So a lot of these kids are, are in this position where they're taking care of their siblings, but they're building resentment because nobody's there to listen to them. They're too busy trying to help their siblings get through and navigate what they're dealing with in the inner city. So having a conversation with those people, those youngsters, were, were important. was important for me because I was able to talk to them about that feeling, that abandonment feeling. I know that feeling of abandonment because I went away for 32 years. And so because I was away, I felt a lot of shame, discomfort, abandonment, all types of things based on my decision that I made. So I was trying to talk to them in that way, not preach to them about what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. That's where I think a lot of times older people fall into uh, discipline. I don't know, ill repair with the kids because they, they don't know how to heal. They don't know how to bring them together. They only look at it from their perspective and not the child's perspective. These are really kids that are growing up in fast times. So they're processing a lot more things than I processed when I was a kid. And so as a parent, you shouldn't try to give it to them the way our parents gave it to us. I know that's, that's a cycle and everybody does it, but that doesn't seem to be effective in 2022. Would you agree that from the days before you came out up until now, is this the um, vision that you saw uh, as far as what the young people would be like when you came out? Uh, I didn't, but I got a taste of it when I was at San Quentin. What we did was we had some youth come through. They talked to us. They were, uh, they were on the brink. So these guys were uh, in juvenile halls. They were in uh, camps. They were basically on the fringe of throwing their lives away. These kids hadn't been there yet, but they're damn close, right? So I got a little taste of what it was and what we needed to do to communicate that with them. So I, I found that in a group setting, most kids will sit there, but they won't process. They won't understand exactly what's going on until it's almost over. So what we tried to do was do one-on-ones after we gave them our spiel about things, about making those better choices and better decisions. Because one-on-ones, they talk. And that's really what I want them to do. I want them to talk. But peer pressure in a group setting won't allow them to talk. So that's why they have to listen first. So when they listen first, now they start to think about things. Now that opens up the possibilities of communication in the aftermath. So when we're done with our speech or our speeches, then those kids come individually and say, hey, you know, I like what you said about this. And to a man, each one of them had something to say after 
you know, you know, I heard what you said about this. You know, I'm in that situation. What should I do here? See, when a kid starts asking or seeking advice, then I think that things change inside that child. He starts to say, okay, somebody's listening to me, and I trust him enough to ask the question. A lot of times it's these children today don't trust the people around them enough to ask. So they go to YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. That's where they get their answers from. That's out. You should get it from the people that know you the best, that are around you the most. But that's not where they reach out for. They reach out for the phone. And that's no good because there's no inner communication. There's no personal communication. It's more, you know, just whatever. People just post stuff, and that's supposed to resonate. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. So I guess... What's lacking, because you've got children raising children, and they're trying to be more of a friend than be a parent, and then there's no parenting manual. So the kids are relying on the streets to assist them in, in being adults, and then again, they're raising children themselves, so that doesn't help. Right. Wow. That's exactly what happens. A lot wow. of times these kids are looking at that, and they're saying, I got to make a decision. I don't know how to make the right decision, so I'm going to make any decision, anyone to get some of this pain up off me. So a lot of times the decisions that these children are making are based on pain. They're not based on anything of rationale or logic. It's all about the pain. And how can I either, one, A, mask the pain, or two, try to get rid of this pain in some form or fashion, but they're only compiling the problem. They're not fixing the problem, and that comes internal. It, it takes time to, to, to process some of this stuff. Some of this stuff has been in there since they've been six, seven, eight years old. So now when they're 15, it's now deeply ingrained, and you have to really try to root it out. The only way you can root it out is to have a frank conversation. So now this is where you have to flip the script. You know they're children. You know they're young, but you have to speak to them like they're adults because if you don't, then they're going to say, I'm not a child, and they're going to rebel. That's what's going to happen. So you got to just get it to them frank. All right, you want to be a man? Here you go. This is what it looks like. Now they go, oh, okay, I hear you. You know, that type of deal. Wow. Wow. Well, so this is another phase of the Uncuffed program. You've ventured into a whole different direction now from just assisting people coming in as new citizens, and now you're taking those new citizens and reaching out to young people and helping them better improve their life or um, giving them an outlet to come to and to vent to. So that that's milestones right there. Yeah, I, I would say that it's really a 360-degree panoramic view of what it is this whole prison industrial complex does. So I give it to you in the beginning from the back end. What happens on the residual? What happens on the end when after you've done all the time? Then I realized in this process that it's important that we talk to them before they get there. A lot of times that might be the prevention that is needed to try to curtail some of this recidivism. It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. So they always tell you you got to go talk to the youth, but a lot of people are afraid to get in that environment and, and, and talk to them. We're not afraid because we've been through the fire. So to try to prevent some of these people going through what we want, what we've gone through, that's why we reach out. So it really is symbiotic, right? Everybody's working together for the same common goal, right? We want to keep men out of prison and women, and we want to get to the children to help them make better decisions so ultimately that doesn't lead them to go to prison. So it's all working in the same direction. Right. 
So are, are you planning to do more of these? Yes. Uh, we've, we've done two today. We've, we've done De La Salle High School and now Edison High School. We've got about five to ten high schools, uh, about three different districts have reached out to us. Uh, they want us to come and talk to the kids, and I, I think it's a good positive step in, in that direction because now we're shaping the minds of the youth, which is important, and teaching them how to, to uh, really navigate freedom because it's either front end and back end, right? We're, we're trying to help them navigate it because it, it's very precious, and it can be taken away very quickly with one bad decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's go to a brief break and we'll come back with more of Mr. Damon Cook.
are out of control and the red tape in Washington is restricting free universal health care for the moment. Don't worry about being able to afford health care any longer. There is hope in the form of a free medical discount program called WellCard Health. WellCard Health provides discounts up to 75% on doctor, dental, and vision visits with a prescription service and other programs as well. Don't worry about the high cost of health care any longer. Call 800-285-5941 today to learn more about how you can take advantage of WellCard Health. This program is not insurance. Welcome back to Just Chat with Bree in today's episode of Navigating Freedom with Mr. Damon Cook. So, you know, the big question I have to ask every week, what was new for you this week? We've had the Social <laughs> Security office, the bank, Walmart, McDonald's. What did we have this week? Okay, so those other stories, those new stories were all having the centered around human interaction. This week, I took it a different way. I went out to the Redwood Forest in Northern California mm. and just got to know nature again. That was phenomenal. That was almost as big for me as the dollar store. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. <laughs> just oh sitting goodness. out there with a tree 
with so much history behind these large trees and just able to hear the stream running. There are, there are salmon are spawning right now, so there's some stuff going on there. And just being able to just sit out there with my own thought. I sat out there for a few hours, and it was extremely therapeutic. That was, I, I can't even describe it. It was just tranquil. It was me, my thoughts, and just getting back to being a, a, a decent, loving human being. And it starts with nature. I know it sounds corny, but it really does, man. I just sat out there, and it was beautiful. Wow. Now, that has got to be a very tranquil setting. I mean, those trees are humongous, and it's beautiful. It's just nature in its finest. It's beautiful. It was, and it is. I, in fact, I posed by a tree just because I don't think people would believe that I would actually go out there. I went out there and, and just got myself together. Sometimes, you know, when you're in these environments, for me, being in prison so long, that was a time. I, I always tried to find time on the yard for myself, meaning to get in my thoughts. Sometimes I would meditate. Oftentimes I would find myself in deep prayer, you know, just giving thanks to get me through the, the trauma I was experiencing. Once I got out there, I was able to take it one step further and release all the toxicity that was in my body. And when I say release it, you just have to let it all go. And then you take in all the freshness, the newness, the wonder, the smells, the sights. I didn't realize that my sense of smell was so keen until I got to the forest because I could smell all kinds of things that I didn't think I would ever smell again. And that appreciation for smelling that newness of the forest was very, very, very therapeutic. It was nice. Now, here's a question for you. Okay. When you were inside, what was one of the one thing that you wanted to do when you got out? What was like, the, when I get out, the first thing I'm going to do is? Okay, so for me, the first thing I wanted to do was hug my mother. That was A, number one. Then two was hug my grandmother. <laughs> These were the first things. I needed that human touch with her because she had gone through this whole journey, both of them, with me my entire stint and never faltered, never wavered. That was important to me, that I, that I hugged them and tell them thank you. Then after that, I said, I needed to get back to me. And the only way I could do that was to go get away. I needed to, I wanted to go. At first, I thought I was going to go up to, to, to Tahoe. But then I said, mm, no, it's a little too far. But right here are the redwoods. Let me go there. And I, I discovered a place. It was quiet. It was beautiful. Uh, it wasn't too far, but it was far enough to where I couldn't hear anything except for the birds and all the winds and the air, everything was beautiful. Something so simple that we take for granted. You know, yep. so many so many people just probably have never even stopped and taken a moment to just look at the ocean, look at the trees, look at the sky, and, you know, look at, see how magnificent it is. So that's pretty cool. And for, the, for you to want to hug your mom, you know, that, that's a precious thing. That's a very precious thing, and you're very blessed that she was there to hug and your grandma. Yeah, you know. she was, and, and I am blessed, and you're right. And not everyone had that opportunity, and so I wanted to take full advantage of mine, so that's why I did it. I can, t I can tell you this. Leaving the forest, here's, here was something that was surreal. I spent a good part of 12 to 15 years in San Quentin, and we drove by the back of San Quentin. And for me to look over there, it was that moment, it was nice for me to say, okay, yeah, I spent time there. I've now let that go, and I'm moving on. 
so I didn't have to hold on to all those old memories. It's nice to talk to you about what, it, what I experienced in there, but now we're making new memories. So to drive by the facility, look at it, let it go, and not have things come up for me, like traumatic things, was a big deal. Because I thought that if I went by there, that some bad things would stir up in me. And all I could do was say thank you to San Quentin because it helped shape me into the man I am today. So I, I take all the bad, the negativity, all the things that caused trauma in my life, and I spun it, and I use it now for the positiveness so I can't be anything but grateful for that opportunity. That's awesome. Now, some of the people that you're interacting with that um, are new citizens and are coming out, how are they helping you with your program? Well, it's also it's helpful for them. So what, what I do is I just said, hey, man, I'm just providing a platform. And if you want to speak your truth, the truth is there. What I have found is it is therapeutic for every single person who is formerly incarcerated to give to someone else who is less fortunate. Paying it forward is helping them in their journey. So when you provide someone with that opportunity, they jump on it because they're, like, they're eager. They want to help. They want to, they, they now get it when you give it away. It's not always about me, me, me. In prison, everyone is selfish. But when you get out of prison, what I'm trying to teach these men is how to be selfless. So when you go around and you see people that are in need, you help them. It also helps fortify your soul. But you won't get that unless you're actually in it. So I always tell them, man, you got to be in it. You can't talk about it around the corner. you got to show up. And if I tell you at 9 o'clock we're going to meet and we're going someplace, you got to show up. Because when we come home and you ask me about it, I'm not going to talk to you about it. That's just not going to doesn't work like that. you got to be a part of it. So that's what happens with most of the men and, and few of the ladies that have gotten out. Then what they do in return is they tell someone else, hey, I need you to show up. So now it's growing. A lot more people that are formerly incarcerated are reaching back saying, man, I want to do it too. I want to do it. I want to do it. Because there is some, some strength in that, some solace. Absolutely. Uh, real quick before we go to break. So some of the gentlemen that went with you, um, how were they feeling afterwards? Were they feeling that they had gratification in, in getting their stories out? Uh, did they feel like that they were a positive note to the cause? Well, I can tell you, to a man, everyone had the same response individually and didn't even know it because they all spoke to me individually. They all say, wow, man, that was powerful. I felt something move inside of me. And to hear that coming from these men who were hardened in prison, they all had images, they had false images they were living by. For them to let those guards down and to say that to me meant a lot because now I know that they're now in the process of healing. They're, in their, they're on their way. So that felt good. Just that they all said the same thing. It is a powerful experience. So that, that was good. That was good. We're going to go to a brief break, and we're going to come back with more of Mr. Damon Cook. Since I saw you for the first time Don't go changing I love you the way you are I want you to touch me I feel you, I want you, I love you
for the first time. Don't go changing. I love you the way you are. I feel you. I want you. I love you. Number three Wishes don't come for free You would really 
Y B N. Welcome back to Just Chat with Bree and today's episode of Navigating Freedom with Mr. Damon Cook. So tell me, Damon, you've done um, your uh, second intervention and you're working with um, new citizens. What have you got coming up? Okay, well, there was a, a shooting that took place about a month ago in Sacramento. And it, it was, it really devastated the community in a, on a bunch of different levels. While we're trying to come out of this COVID situation, there were, uh, you know, a, there was a club, a nightclub incident. And so I reached out to a few people over there that are activists inside the city of Sacramento. And I just said, hey, I'd like to bring us together. So on July 9th, we're going to be doing a, a homeless feeding. We're also going to be doing an intervention and an intervention in this way, it's more like a community gathering where we get to know one another instead of alienating ourselves from each other. So we're going to bring them together. Um, we're going to be downtown Sacramento and in the park right next to the Capitol building and just invite the, st the store owners, the people that live in the community, and people who are around to get to know each other instead of yelling at each other. Everyone is at each other's throats in Sacramento. And, and then when I went there on a private meeting, I went to talk to a couple of the leaders, and they're very receptive in what we're trying to do. And I think that this will be a powerful platform for healing. So I guess we're pivoting in that direction as well because we're trying to bring these communities together. Ultimately, I would like for everyone to try to operate under the same um, umbrella, which is healing. That's really the big goal. Right. They just had a lot of stuff go on here. So that is um, a, a, a good move. Um, that community is like in disarray right now with the shootings that went on. So for you to reach out like that, that that's very, very noble of you to do that. Um, well, well, you know, Bree, I feel like that when a situation happens like that, and there's so much trauma and so much pain and hurt right now, you have to go where the pain is. You can't shy away from it. A lot of times people say, well, you know, it's too toxic right now. There was a shooting. Oh, my God, I can't go down there. No, that's exactly when you go down there. You go right there in it because when you're in it, people see that there's no fear because a lot of times society's operating out of a fear paradigm. You don't want the fear. You want people to understand and open up. But when they get fearful, they close themselves off. So that's why we're going right there in the trenches, right where it matters, right where the people are in the most pain, where ultimately that's probably where all the trauma is happening. So those people are the, in, that are in need the most. So we're going to go down there and talk to them about that, how to process that pain, how to help them. Wow. So now how are you getting the advertising out about this? Uh, I don't know if it's advertising. We just – we're just – we – we told the city council, we told the district attorney, and we let the mayor know, the mayor's office, and a couple of the, adv uh, the uh, advocates or the activists for the, the community, we told them, hey, this is what we want to do. They're all for it, 
individually and ironically, collectively, they don't speak to each other. So I said, we need to all sit down at a round table. So before we have this on the 9th of July, uh, along with the clergy and the ministers in the, in the community, we're going to bring all these entities together because all those entities make up the community. And so they should be communicating with each other instead of having one office that doesn't like this other faction. That's not how you heal. You have to communicate. It just has to be dialogue. Wow. Wow. So you are hitting the ground and running. You're literally running. <laughs> How do you have time to go to McDonald's? <laughs> uh, yeah, on the way. <laughs> uh, my OG, that's it. Quarter pounder on the way. That's it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. You, I think it was the old timers, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, my old goodness. Old school. Old school. <laughs> Yes, yes, indeed. Well, you know, sometimes you have to reach back and go into things that work and not necessarily uh, do everything modernized and, and get with things that work. And so do you have uh, any plans to have like an outreach for those people that are still incarcerated? Yeah, um, we do have plans, as a matter of fact. We're working right now to try to get back and reach into the system. So um, hopefully by the fall, it takes a few. The wheels don't spin as quickly on the inside as they do on the out. So we've already put in a couple notices to the powers that be to try to let us go back into the institution and talk to the people inside the prison about what it looks like on their way out. A lot of guys don't have that current information. So we are going to be going back in as soon as we get the clearance. We're going to go back in and talk to talk to the men in the forum. And, you know, I know a lot of them in there, so it's not going to fall on deaf ears because I was just chewing that dirt a month ago. So they know me. So we're going to get back in there and, and you know, do the right thing, try to get these guys on the right path. I know I didn't have a lot of information. There's a lot of stuff that's disseminated inside the institutions, but it's not current. And so now I want to be able to take back some fresh, brand-new information, like 2022 stuff, that they can use right now. Wow. And I guess that would be um, a, a, an enhancement because if you're working on dated information, then of course you come out completely um, discombobulated and you don't you don't have a clue. So your right. program is really helping to be able to stabilize a lot of people and to put them on the right path to keep them from going backwards because um, so many times you hear people come out. Um, I know one individual, they came out, they went and they saw their family, things had changed so much, but they had a lot of power on the inside. So they went and they threw a brick through the policeman's uh, window, got rearrested, went back in and was happy because they were running things on the inside. And so how is your program helping people to not want to be like that, not want to do that? I mean, well, I know this, but I'm just asking for the listeners. No, that's, that's a beautiful question because what that is, is that's fear. So the fear of the unknown they're only they're used to an environment, and someone like me who lived that way, I know exactly why they want to go back. I saw the recidivism. I know why they want to go back. The fear of not being a success on the street, the failure. Nobody likes to fail. 
And the fear of failure is driving men to do dumb things only because the comfort level rises when they enter back into the institution. If I was incarcerated, and I was for this many times, I personally don't want to go back ever, right? So I put things in motion that I can at least combat the fear. Everyone has fear coming out of prison, including myself. But how you manage the fear is where you go from there. So my thing is, let me show you how to manage the fear. It's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be things going on. But you don't let that control you. You have to manage it. And then that takes process, steps by step, you know, stuff like that. That's excellent. And um, I've, I've had people inquire and ask if you're going to uh, try to put this type of program in different locations. Okay. How, how do I do it? No, no, no. Sorry. No. Um, okay. I'm, um, people have asked, are you going to expand the Uncuffed program and put it in different locations? Yes. We, we actually, we have expanded. Um, I am personally in the Bay Area, but I have people that work for the organization that are in San Diego, that are in Los Angeles, that are in Oxnard, that are in Monterey. Some are in um, uh, Southern California. And eventually we're going to Nevada and Arizona. Um, we did a couple things for some children in Arizona and in Nevada. Then we got positive feedback. So really it's, it's a way of combating some of the issues that are common amongst all the cities and in the entire country. And so we're developing a, like a blueprint. This is going to be like a franchise. This thing will go and be in every city, in every major city in the, in the country because it's the same condition and doesn't matter where we are in the country and the same healing needs to take place. So we just bring guys on. They see what we do. And they adopt the same, you know, same dynamic, the same thing we got going on. And it, it doesn't really change from city to city because the condition is the same. That's awesome. You're doing great things, Damon. And, um, I'm wishing you continued success. We're about out of time right now, and so I greatly appreciate today's episode. And listeners, we're going to be on every Wednesday with Mr. Damon L. Cook, and he's going to talk to us, and he's going to tell us what's going on out there. So um, let them know where the Uncuffed program is and how to get to it. Okay, so we're at the uncuffedproject.org. We're on all the platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, uh, everyone. All the platforms, the Uncut Project on all of them. And you can reach us, reach out to us. We will reach back. There's a questionnaire if you want to fill out. If you have some more in-depth conversations you want to do, you can just say, hey, I'd like to speak to a representative, and one will get on the line quickly. And uh, that's what we do. And we're just helping people navigate freedom. That's awesome. All right, listeners, we are out of time. Damon, thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you next week. And that is it for today. And we'll see you tomorrow. All right. Thanks, Bree. You're welcome. My little red top. See how you got me spinning. Going round and round. And I don't want to stop. You've got me so if I don't go around I'm sure gonna drop, gonna drop, gonna drop to red top You just go right on spinning You go round and round And don't you ever stop Remember that if I don't go around Well you're sure gonna drop, gonna drop, gonna drop Shadow Biggie Scoops
Stop 